Ave, and welcome to Emperors of Rome, a Roman history podcast from La Trobe University. I'm your host, Matt Smith, and with me today is Dr. Kaylin Davenport, Senior Lecturer in Roman History from Macquarie University. This is episode CXVII, Disgraced Human Nature. That's a phrase describing Caracalla from the legendary historian Edward Gibbon, who's always good for an episode title. I'll quote him now, re Caracalla. Such was the end of a monster whose life disgraced human nature, and whose reign accused the patience of the Romans. Here's Caelan Davenport. Caracalla was on campaign in Syria, and his high command, his chief advisors, composed of two Praetorian prefects, Marcus Oclotinius Adventus and Marcus Opelius Macrinus. We should introduce at this point and talk about him a bit, Macrinus, because uh, he will have a, a big part to play in Caracalla's downfall, and he is his successor. Definitely. Macrinus is from Mauritania, so that's North Africa, uh, modern Algeria. He's of equestrian rank, so that means um, he's part of this uh, status group directly below the senators. And equestrians hold administrative positions in the government. They also hold positions as officers in the army. And the top equestrian post was that of Praetorian Prefect. Mm. So there were two of those at the moment. So Macrinus was in his 50s at this stage. He had a long career as an administrator. Um, He was also known for his experience in law. So he's not a military man per se. There are two routes to the Praetorian Prefecture, really, in this period. You can ascend through administrative offices or you can ascend through a combination of administrative and military posts. And it was quite common for them to be legal experts. The Praetorian prefect was actually taking on more of the emperor's judicial responsibilities at this period as well. So they have to be a a jack of all trades, uh, really. So was uh, Macrinus particularly trusted then by Caracalla? Look, Caracalla is supposed to have ridiculed him publicly, calling him a brave, self-styled warrior, but in a sarcastic way. And that's probably because he wasn't a military man roughing it with the soldiers like uh, Caracalla himself. Mm. Macrinus was a lawyer, an administrator, who had had a successful career in those fields. He was an important uh, position but there seems to definitely have been tension between him and Caracalla. That must have only just been the beginning of it, though, for it to have this result. So when a Roman emperor is about to die, there seems to be a flurry of prophecies and portents. Mm. So mm. I assume there was these kind of things about the death of Caracalla and also about the rising star of Macrinus. Definitely. So uh, we've talked a bit about in the previous podcasts how Caracalla was having lots of dreams about Septimius Severus and Geta, and he's supposed to have another dream on his final journey out from his base at Antioch, out into Syria. And so Septimius Severus is supposed to have appeared in a dream and said, as you killed your brother, so I will slay you. So this is like the culmination of the portents and the dreams which have been plaguing Caracalla. 
But also Caracalla himself became much more paranoid at this time as well. So he's supposed to have consulted oracles and astrologers to try and work out if people were really plotting against him or not. Um, He appears to be particularly paranoid at this point um, in his life, probably because of the dreams that he's been having. Mm. And he has a stooge back in Rome uh, called stooge. stooge. <laughs> I always think of like henchmen when it comes to Caracalla called Flavius Maternianus. Maternianus is supposed to be searching out prophets, seers and oracles, anything that is uh, prophesying that Caracalla is about to be taken down mm. by someone else, someone around him or someone from outside his inner circle. So Caracalla instructs him to go and do that, to seek out a particular seer, is that right? We hear that a seer comes independently from Africa to report something to mm. Flavius Maternianus. Yeah, see, Herodian tells that differently. Yes, yeah. So this is where you've got the differing accounts between Herodian and Dio. Dio says that there's a particular famous seer who has this vision of Caracalla's mm. death being caused by Macrinus mm. and comes to Rome to report it. Yes, yeah. yes. And particularly that Macrinus and his son, who's only a boy of 9, 10, Diogumenianus, are going to seize the throne from Caracalla. Mm. So this has been reported to Maternianus, and this, this is his job to tell Caracalla what's yes. going on. And again, how this message gets to Caracalla, we've got two very different accounts here. Yes. So we'll start with Dio's account and this is an indication of why you should never send important news <laughs> through, <laughs> through the post. In Dio, Maternianus writes to Caracalla to tell him, look, Macrinus is going to become emperor and to do something about it. But because Caracalla is out on campaign, the letter goes to Antioch, where Julia Domna, his mother, is in charge of sorting through his correspondence. So it sort of gets held up in Antioch. Meanwhile... Back in Rome, one of Macrinus's friends, uh, another equestrian procurator called Ulpius Julianus, writes to Macrinus telling him about this prophecy and how Caracalla is going to find out about this. And in Dio, Julianus's letter reaches Macrinus first, while the other letter is delayed at Antioch, and so Macrinus knows he's in danger. So that's how Dio tells it. Herodian says that the letters are all sent to Caracalla, but that Caracalla is about to engage in a chariot race because we know how much Caracalla loves the races. And so he then hands the letters to Macrinus. Unread. Unread, yeah. Have my mail. Yeah, have my mail, deal with them, you know. Go through and see what's important. Quite standard. Yeah, no, very, very standard. So, you know, sort them out. Let's work out what's pressing or not. I'm going to go race these horses later. Yeah. Yep. And then, of course, Macrinus reads the letter (laughs) about this prophecy and suggesting that uh, he should be uh, quickly done away with there. See, again, this, uh, as much as I like the Herodian retelling, it feels like the HBO adaptation version of the events again. <laughs> yes, you know, the, the fact that Caracalla is actually holding the letter in his hand. Yeah, very dramatically, and then just hands it to, oh, Macrinus. Yes, yeah. yes. The Dio one has an air of realism about it, you know, the one letter getting stuck in the post. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Though quite often we hear of letters with imperial executions getting delayed, for example, Caligula wanted to execute one of the procurators in Syria, but um, he died first, for example, before the letter got there and things like that. So the postal delays can work uh, for some of the emperor's subjects sometimes. 
But as often seems to happen between Dio and Herodian, the end event is the same, even though the method of getting there is slightly different. So Macrinus gets the news beforehand that there's Mm. been a prophecy that he's going to be the one to kill Caracalla. Mm. And essentially at that point, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. He's gone, well, I've got to act. Yes. My hand's been forced here. If I'm going to be the one who kills Caracalla, I might as well get it over with. Otherwise, his head's on the chopping block. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So it's it's really uh, self-protection there. But he has to make sure that he's not doing it alone. Mm. That would be very foolhardy, even as Praetorian prefect. He needs to get allies. So he enlists um, the help of a soldier called Julius Martialis. According to Dio, Martialis is bitter because Caracalla wouldn't promote him to centurion. Herodian says he's already a centurion, but was upset that Caracalla had executed his brother. Mm. So the motive is different, but the man is the same. Yes. And he also gets help from two tribunes of the Praetorian Guard as well, Mm. who are going to be involved in this conspiracy to bring down Caracalla. Caracalla sets off on his last journey to a temple near Karai, Haran in southern Turkey, where he wants to uh, visit the Temple of the Moon. So he's uh, particularly interested in in gods and visiting temples. He's been doing that uh, throughout his life, whether he uh, comes to a new area. Um, There's a small group of men with him, including Martialis and the two Praetorian tribunes who are on Aquinas' side. Mm. On the way there, Caracalla dismounts from his horse for a a comfort stop, shall we say. There's different versions here about why he needed to relieve himself in the desert. Herodian has a particularly uh, detailed version, (laughs) shall we say, (laughs) that might put you off your dinner. Uh, According to Herodian, he was forced by a stomach ache. And I'm quoting here from Herodian 4.13.4, to tell the whole column to stop while he went off with a singular attendant to relieve his trouble. So everyone turned their faces away and walked off as far as they could out of respect for the emperor's dignity and his modesty while in the act. Martialis was watching every opportunity and spotted the emperor all alone. He ran towards him, pretending he had been summoned by a nod to tell the emperor something or be told something. He stood over Caracalla while he was pulling down the clothes from his waist and stabbed him with the dagger he had hidden in his hands while the emperor's back was turned. So stabbed in the back with his pants around his ankles. Basically, yes. What a humiliating uh, way to go uh, for an emperor of Rome. Dio and even the Augustan histories mightn't have that level of detail. Or that amount of graphic detail. <laughs> graphic detail is maybe certainly. a better way to say it. Yes. But the account is, is very much the same. He's, he's stabbed while taking a leak on the side of the road on the way to Antioch. Exactly. It's uh, the uh, highway bathroom stop gone wrong. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, you know, if you're going to take down an emperor, that's when you should do it. That's when he's the most vulnerable. Uh, emperors are still human beings. They still need to relieve themselves. And, you know, that's when he's going to be concentrating on other things. I didn't think you could go lower for a death scene than being strangled by your wrestling partner. Yes. <laughs> which was the fate of Commodus. This is lacking even more dignity. There's no way to go worse from this, I don't think. Oh, no, it, it's awful. And that's the way you're going to be remembered as well. As you mm. said, all the sources agree how he went. Then we have Martialis running away, but he's killed by Javelin. Another story, we have Martialis stabbing Caracalla, and then the two Praetorian tribunes pretend they're coming to Caracalla's rescue, mm. but then join in stabbing him as well. Mm. 
it's not Macrinus who wields the dagger. It's the other people that he's got in his conspiracy. It's very uh, interesting in the, the difference in style of emperors, though, because uh, Macrinus didn't get his own hands dirty, whereas Caracalla just you know, killed his brother mm. blatantly himself. So I don't know if that says more about Caracalla for being honest, at least, and wielding the dagger by himself. But yeah, so thus ends Caracalla. Yes, yes, an an unfortunate roadside comfort stop. You know, his body is burned, his ashes are sent back to Rome. Uh, There are different stories here. One story is that they go to Julia Domna first, who's in Antioch. Yes. And then later on to Rome. Julia Domna, despite the fact Caracalla killed Geta, is stricken with grief. She beats her breasts and wails which inflamed her breast cancer. So she had a tumour in her breast, Cassius Dio tells us. Can I ask about the Greek for that? Yes, let me just find that. I thought that cancer was a rather recent thing, so I was wondering what the Greek said. So what the Greek says is it says, Hupo tu karkinu on en to masto. So upon the tumour, the karkinos, so the karkinos is crab, cancer, Mm. but it's also used as the word for a tumour. So the Greek says the tumour which was in her breast. And it's from the word for crab that the Greeks had the word carcinoma as well, which appears in Galen and Greek medical writers to refer to the tumour there. Wow. Yeah. How interesting. Also explains the star sign cancer being a crab. Exactly. Yes. That's where it comes from there. So Julia Domna's already dying, but Dio says that beating her breasts inflames the breast cancer. Mm. Initially, she refuses food and then thinks she's going to start plotting, but then she gives up all that hope and decides once again to stop eating and starves herself to death, essentially, in Antioch. Wow. She had a bad run of it. It's a very, very sad story uh, to think of of this woman who, who married the Emperor Septimius Severus and you know, had two children, you know, both of whom who died tragically, and, mm. and, and, she, and she lived through it all. So it must have been a very traumatic life. Yeah. And uh, Caracalla is ultimately ends up in the, the tomb of the Antonines, which I'm assuming is the mausoleum of Hadrian. Mausoleum of Hadrian, And yes. he's the last emperor to be interred there. Yes, for various reasons that the other Severans aren't buried there because of the way that they die. And in the third century, emperors tend to be killed outside of Rome um, and they tend to be buried where they fall. The run of Antonines ceases then. All right, so thus ends Caracalla. So what is the overall impression that we're left from him and and how much, I suppose, is that dictated by what Dio thought of him Mm. in particular? Well, I think if you look at any surviving bust of Caracalla, and there are many of them surviving, he's got his head turned to the side, this short cropped beard, and he appears to be frowning or or scowling. Mm. So this is the image of Caracalla as an angry warrior, angry leader, or even as a tyrant. And even when Caracalla was alive, some senators who were close to him made jokes about the fact that he always looked angry. Yeah. So I think that that portrait type does capture what it was like to be around Caracalla. He was clearly paranoid. 
someone who took revenge on anyone who could perceive to have wronged him in any way possible. He wasn't going to take any prisoners. So we're left with this image of him as as a controlling paranoid emperor. Now, Cassius Dio is not uh, a positive eyewitness to Caracalla, obviously. Cassius Dio's portrait is coloured by the fact that he was not well treated by Caracalla, that Caracalla liked the army, and Cassius Dio felt that he was on the outside. Now, we know that Caracalla did have senatorial and equestrian friends who he promoted, who he relied upon. Uh, We know this because later Macrinus would remove them from office, specifically because they were friends of Caracalla. So Dio's not part of that group. Mm. But at the same time, we can't whitewash Caracalla. Mm. He was clearly a nasty piece of work. And I think, you know, someone who's going to murder his own brother in his mother's breast, that essentially sums up what sort of man we're dealing with here. Yeah, yeah. Cassius Dio in 78.6 has a rather interesting description of Caracalla. He says, Antoninus belonged to three races and he possessed none of their virtues at all, but combined in himself all their vices. The fickleness, cowardness, and recklessness of Gaul were his. The harshness and cruelty of Africa, and the craftiness of Syria, whence he was sprung on his mother's side. Mm. So this again is coming back to the idea that your character is based on where you come from. It's sort of ethnically related there. You know, he's cruel and crafty, uh, he's cowardly, and that's all inherited. Um, We find the same sort of ideas in Suetonius's biographies of the Julio-Claudians and the Flavians as well, that these things are in their nature and and can't be changed. Uh, But for us, as modern historians, that's not a very good explanation. Instead, we need to look at their life, their circumstances in its historical context and ask uh, what motivated them to behave in the way they did. And uh, the other sources use the same sort of language when they describe Caracalla. Yes, the idea that appears in both Herodian and the Augustan history is that he was cruel and tyrannical and was invested in the soldiers, but uh, no one else as well. So that's fairly consistent. The Augustan history then adds the cherry on the top, the stories about him being incestuous with his mother and that even he married her as well, which are completely false. But uh, this idea really took off in late antiquity that Caracalla is like another Nero, essentially. So Caracalla was emperor for six years and he didn't spend a lot of his time in Rome, but he's made a few decisions that have had an effect on the Roman Empire at large. And we we spoke a bit about the financial repercussions of him paying Mm. the army so much money and how that devalued the currency and then how he brought in the edict of extended citizenship to everyone. So that's probably the biggest impact. That's a hell of a big impact. Mm. That's probably the biggest impact that he had on the Roman Empire, isn't it? Yes. If we move away from the description of Caracalla in the ancient sources, and we look at what he actually did, uh, we can see that he really changed the course of Roman history. The Constitutio Antoniana of 212 extended Roman citizenship to all free inhabitants of the empire. And this was a major change for Roman society. We see citizenship 
being extended to wealthy elites in the East who were not previously Roman citizens and could now compete for office. We see the growth of Roman law, and now particularly people in the provinces who haven't dealt with Roman law in the past are going to be writing to the emperor and his administration Mm. for clarification on points of law, because that's one of the most interesting aspects of Roman imperial government, is that people could write to the emperor and his administration for clarification on these matters. And so now we have people uh, that are going to be subject to Roman law, that's going to come in conflict with their local laws. And the fact that now all free inhabitants are citizens means that the distinction in Roman society is not between citizens and non-citizens, it's between different groups of citizens. And that's really going to shape the social hierarchy of the later Roman Empire. I notice that there's a passage where Dio tries to talk about the good things that Caracalla did. Mm. There's a few things that he's talking about there, but he's also clearly reaching just a little bit, you know, trying to find something because he talks about a very nice street that Caracalla had made nicely lined by trees. Mm. And they're thinking, right, if you're pointing to a street at the high point of being an emperor, then you're, you're running low on material. There's certainly the bars of Caracalla, which I think people will be... Is, is right next to the street. The street, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, the bars of Caracalla was the largest bath complex yet built in Rome. And the main complex was built in six years. So beginning in 211, probably. Later on, the other severins extended the enclosure around it. But, you know, it's substantially... Uh, the same design as the bars of Trajan, but built on a much larger scale. And this would be a massive benefaction for the people of Rome. You know, Caracalla wasn't there, he was out campaigning, but construction work provides jobs, not only to builders, but also architects and artisans as well. And then, of course, when it's constructed, they get to enjoy the pleasures of the baths as well. And if you go to Rome today, you can see the ruins of the baths of Caracalla, and it is truly enormous. Mm. So this, is again, is one of his greatest legacies to the, uh, the people of Rome. So how is Caracalla remembered and portrayed today? It seems that whenever you have a list of, you know, the top 10 bad emperors of the Roman Empire, that he will be on there quite prominently. Definitely. He's not up there with, you know, Marcus Aurelius, Antoninus, Pius Vespasian, you know, he's with Nero, Caligula, Mm. uh, Domitian. And this is really based on the image of him as a tyrant in the ancient sources, particularly Cassius Dio. But Historians today, we try and look at the government and administration. So we look at things like the Constitutio Antoniniana, like the Bars of Caracalla, look at the frontier work he did in Germany in the German campaigns. And we can see that there are some really interesting administrative measures being taken there. Now, are they all down to Caracalla the man or are they down to his government? That's the big question which we face as historians. Yeah. Are these other people around it, people like Octavius Appius, uh, Sutrius Sabinus, the other members of the Syrian branch of the dynasty, are they controlling the government? Mm. You know, Julia Domna as well. 
while Caracalla is having these frenzied dreams and, you know, searching for cures. It, it's very difficult to reconcile the different parts of the Caracallum story there. Yeah. And that's something historians are still struggling with today. Uh, so it's by no means over. And certainly the incidents in Caracalla's life are wonderful fodder for artists and writers throughout the ages. There's paintings with Caracalla murdering Getter and uh, Julia Domna trying to stop them. Images of Caracalla and Getter watching the games together. So this, you know, comes from Cassius Dio when they're enjoying themselves as young men. So, you know, his antics have surely captured the imagination there. But our job as historians is to try and look beyond the individual mm. and then try and look at, at the government, the administration, the policies as well. You know, we're not trying to rehabilitate or whitewash yeah. the man because that really can't be done, but to look at the achievements of his reign. I mean, Gibbon does compare him to Hadrian travelling the provinces, you know, going to the German frontier to Parthia, to Egypt. No, it didn't turn out well, but he is certainly an emperor who is embracing what's expected of a Roman ruler in the third century. That's Dr. Kalen Davenport, a man whose life, to the best of my knowledge, has not disgraced human nature, but he is a senior lecturer in Roman history from Macquarie University. And you've been listening to Emperors of Rome. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it in Apple Podcasts or your local friendly neighbourhood podcatching service. Please leave a review. Long story short, it's appreciated. You can like the Emperors of Rome on Facebook and you can follow both myself and Kaylin on Twitter. Kaylin is at Dr. C. Davenport. I am at Nightlight Guy. And the podcast is at Rome Podcast. In the next episode of Emperors of Rome, the crown weighs heavily on the head of Macrinus. But until then, I am the common enemy of all mankind. You've been fantastic, and thanks for listening.